we're in Colossians chapter 1 uh, this morning. Colossians chapter 1, and verse 15. going to cover verse 15 through verse 18, so I'll read our text for us and then we'll pray together. This is first, our Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and is invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of Christ, and we ask that Christ would be magnified in our hearts and our lives and We're all coming from different places, different experiences, different joys and challenges this week, and we just pause and desire to want to see you in a greater way. And as we see you and know you and experience you, that you would have preeminence in our hearts and our lives. So God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. I think inside of each person, there's core questions that we all ask, some common core questions. One is, does God exist? And if God does exist, what is he like? What's the character and the nature of God? Another question is, how did I get here? How did I get here? And then, what purpose do I have here on this planet? What's really the goal of my days here on this earth? Another is, is there life after death? When we die, is there more? Or are we simply food for worms? Are we just going to decompose and that's the end of our existence? And in these few verses, we see Paul and ultimately the Holy Spirit really answering some of these core questions for us. And those core questions are answered in the person, the work, and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus for who he is, those core questions are answered in our lives. So verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. This is the declaration of who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. So we can't see God. He's invisible to us this morning, but Jesus is the express image of the Father. To the point where when Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So this is our first question, does God exist and what is God like? We do see that God exists. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God never seeks to explain his existence. He never does. He simply puts it out there that you either accept it or you reject it. Now, there's facts and truth pointing to his existence, but God doesn't give us an explanation of his existence. He just says, in the beginning, God And one of the biggest proofs of God's existence is creation, and we'll talk about that for a moment. So God does exist, but then what is God like? As we look at Jesus, we do see the express image of the Father. I want us to take a moment to look at Hebrews chapter 1. If you have your Bible, just turn a few pages over to Hebrews chapter 1 and the first three verses.
God who at various times in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. I want you to picture God as a communicator. God longs to communicate with us. He longs to communicate with you. And he goes to great efforts to get his message of love across to us. And Hebrews is telling us in times past, God spoke in various ways through the prophets. God would call the prophets to speak in very creative ways and also very extreme ways. We see God calling a prophet to go out and give his message naked. That's extreme. Don't try that. You'll end up in CJC. We'll have to come down and visit you, right? Hosea, the prophet, is called by God to marry a prostitute to get God's message of unconditional love across. We find a prophet being called by God to to lay on one side for a long period of time and then roll and be on the other side for a long period of time. So God would go to these great lengths to communicate through the prophets, but it wasn't enough. So God sends his son, in verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world's who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sin and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus is the express image of the Father. I find that a lot of times we appreciate Christ and find Jesus to be approachable and relatable, but we have a difficult time relating to our Heavenly Father. But yet, Jesus is the express image of the Father. If you were to take a coin and put it into a piece of clay, that's the express image. So when you see Christ in the Gospels, when you see Christ walking upon the water and the storm being underneath the feet of Jesus, that expresses the Father. When you see Jesus having compassion on the multitude and feeding the 5,000 and teaching them, that's an expression of the Father. When you see Jesus taking children into his lap, that's an expression of the Father. The grace, the kindness, the compassion, the truth, that is the Father. And the Father and the Son are not separable. The Trinity, three distinct persons, but yet one God. And so the first thing that we see about Jesus is Jesus is the communicator. Jesus is the communicator to bring us into relationship with the Father. He's the express image of, of the Father, the express image of the invisible God. How do you relate to your Heavenly Father? Do you have the kind of relationship with your Father that you can come to Him and say, Abba, Father, Daddy? That's what Jesus brought us into for our enjoyment. So that's the first thing about Christ. The next is that He's the firstborn over all creation. Now this verse can be confusing because you read this and you go, was Jesus created? And Jesus was never created. We have the pre-eternal existence of Christ. Christ has always existed because he's God. The Father did not create the Son. The Father did not create the Spirit. Jesus is God. The Spirit is God. They're together one unity. So the firstborn of creation points to The fact that Jesus is supreme over all of the creation. In the Old Testament, the firstborn had the position of authority in the family. It was a big deal. Families today aren't really like that, right? I'd like to consider myself the oldest of our family, even though I'm not. So I've got 
my older brother and my younger sister, he's 22 months older than me, and my lifelong goal was to be taller than him and stronger than him, and both of those things didn't happen, right? So in the Old Testament, that was a big, big, big deal. If you were the firstborn, you had the birthright, you had the authority in the family, And this is playing on that analogy that Christ is the firstborn over all creation, that he has the authority, he has the supremacy, but it's not stating that Jesus was created. He was always in existence. In verse 16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. For by him all things were created. So not only is he the communicator, but he's the creator. And he is the creator of all things. In John 1, 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's Jesus. A few verses later in John 1, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know that the Word is, is Jesus. So Jesus is God, and Jesus is the creator of all things. And when we look around at the stars, when we see satellite images of the galaxies, When we look up at at Pike's Peak, it points to God as the creator. One of the greatest proofs to the fact that there's a creator is that there's design. If there's design, then there has to be a designer. And then this answers another core question inside of us is, how did I get here? How did I get here? You can look at the design inside of you and who gave you that design. I believe that one of the fascinating things about the time that we live in is so much information has being unveiled to us. We're discovering more and more and more. One of those is the 3D ultrasounds. When you look at an ultrasound of what's taking place in the womb, it is phenomenal, right? And we had the joy of having 3D ultrasounds with, with our kids, and that's something that wasn't a part of my parents' uh, generation, You can look at footage of ultrasounds of each day in the womb and all that God does in the womb. Conception and birth really is a miracle that's done by God, and we get to witness it in an amazing way with with 3D ultrasounds. Another thing that we've seen about design is DNA. There's been many atheists now that have rejected evolution because of DNA. All of the information that we now know about DNA, it points to the fact that there is a designer. What happens when there is a mutation in DNA? Does it ever go to the benefit of the individual? I mean, have we had mutation in DNA and all of a sudden we have a Marvel superhero? Is that the direction that that's going? When there is a mutation in DNA, when something goes wrong in your DNA, it is life-altering, isn't it? It's heartbreaking in the life of a child when they're, when they're born and, and something is not right inside of their DNA. I mean, we look at what's taking place with DNA and it's not moving towards this direction of, of evolution. And believing this about God really affects how you view yourself. You know, we always are analyzing ourselves, and there's things that we don't like about ourselves. Sometimes we're overly critical of, our, of ourselves. And what we need to accept is that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. That there's no one like you. God designed you for a specific purpose. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You individually are created by God. And so really accepting that and believing that this is how I got here. I was created by God. Jesus has created all things. 
That includes me, but it also includes others. This is the way that we're to see other people, is that they're created by God, right? And yes, that person that cut me off on Academy Boulevard, they're created by God, right? (laughs) So we need to be reminded about that. Be reminded and going, yes, they're created by God. Even if they're acting in a foolish way or a sinful way, they are created by God. God has created all things. All things he has created. And Paul gets specific. He says things that are in heaven and things that are on earth. Well, what are things that are on earth? We've described some of those things. The mountains, the stars, people. God has created all of of those things. But how about things in heaven? What has God created that's in heaven? Well, angels are in heaven. Those that are in Christ that have died and gone before us, they're in heaven. There's things that are created in heaven that we can only anticipate, can't we? We know that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, don't let your heart be troubled. And the glory that awaits for us in heaven, the things that God has created and the things that God has designed in heaven. So, so not only is he the creator of everything here on earth, everything in the galaxies, and then the minutia of DNA, but he's also the creator of things in heaven that we haven't even begun to experience. Visible and invisible. So Christ is the creator of things that we can see, but also the things that we can't see. So what are some of the things that we can't see? There's so many things that you get out of a microscope that are created by God that you can't see, but they're there, right? There's so many insects that are so small, you can't see them, but they're created by God. I wonder how many insects are crawling around our houses that are invisible to us, right? Or in those blue chairs. (laughs) Nasty. I'm glad I'm standing up this morning. (laughs) And you're all leaving for the restroom right now, right? So many things that are invisible that are created by God. But also, this refers to the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm is created by God. There's a spiritual reality that we can't see. With angels and demons, how did demons become in their state? They were angels that were fallen. They're angels that rejected Christ. Satan was an angel who rejected God. And they're in their fallen state. So created by God, but in a fallen state. And that's a reality that we can't see that was created by the Lord. The visible and the visible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. This is expressing that all authority is under the authority of Jesus Christ. All thrones or dominions. And this is comforting to us as we see a lot of craziness that's happening in our world. When we see the oil being blown up in Saudi Arabia and speculation that Iran could be behind that and the probability of that and all the tension that's taking place. Guess what? Jesus' throne is over all thrones, over all dominions. We're headed into an election year. Guess what? God's got it under control. Should you vote? Absolutely. Should you be involved? Absolutely. I think you should vote the Bible. You should know the scriptures and have that impact your vote. And the things that are important to us in the word should be important to us when we, when we go and vote. But guess what? You shouldn't lose a night's sleep over an election year, right? You should not be in a bad mood over an election year. 
We should be able to be in a place of confidence as believers because all thrones and dominions are underneath the authority of Jesus Christ. When we look at the authority that's put in place in the workplace, inside of the university, inside of the school, the list goes on. Ultimately, God's the one who raises up and sets somebody else aside. It's all underneath his authority, principalities or powers included as well. Let's look at Romans chapter 1. Is it a big deal that we accept that Jesus is the creator? I want us to see this together. If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 1, and let's look at verse 20. There is a downward slide, an avalanche that happens spiritually if we reject that Jesus is the creator. So this is Romans 1 verse 20. It says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So creation reveals the attributes of God to where we're without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So knowing God, but not glorifying God, then what happens? Our hearts are darkened. We go into a dark spiritual state when we reject that God is the creator. Professing to be wise, they become fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. So not glorifying God as the creator and not being thankful is what causes us to go into a dark spiritual state. A few years ago, the unthankful really stood out to me. I think most of us this morning would acknowledge that God is the creator. But it's easy to be unthankful, isn't it? And when we're in a place of grumbling and complaining, it puts us into a dark spiritual state. It's really important for us to be in a place of worship. What happened to us this morning as we worshiped, as we put our focus upon Jesus, is that we find our souls built up in the Lord. But the opposite happens when we're in a place of, of unthankfulness. David would write that he encouraged himself in the Lord. How did he do that? By worshiping the Lord, by, by being thankful. Maybe you've had a tough week, a tough month, a tough year, is choose to be thankful. And as you're thankful, it causes us to be in the right direction spiritually. So let's sit back a little bit here and say, is it important for a Christian to acknowledge that Jesus is the creator? Is that important for us as believers? Because this is a view that's really debated today in our American culture. I would suggest to you absolutely yes. Why? Because God claims that about himself. He claims it about himself. And so we're rejecting something that God claims about himself. Also, we're diminishing Jesus. We're diminishing Christ. And that's a big deal to me. 
is because Christ is saying, look, I'm the creator of the universe. And if you reject Christ as the creator, then the impact of God, the creator, stepping into his creation as an infant loses its impact, right? God stepping into his creation, God in human flesh, going to the cross and dying for you. You don't have the creator of the universe humbling himself, dying on the cross for your sins. So don't rob God of that. That's not our place. Our place is to accept him for who he is. And as we accept him for who he is, it really does affect our worldview. Why is our culture so messed up? One of the reasons it's messed up is we don't believe that God has created us. And if we don't believe that God has created us, then we don't value human life. Do you see the connection? But when we trust that God has created us, then we begin to value human life. So Jesus is the communicator, but he's also the creator. And we go on to verse 17, or the end of verse 16. All things were created through him and for him. All things were created through him and for him. Another core question is, what's my purpose here? My purpose here is for him. My purpose here is for Jesus. And we get our wires crossed on this so oftentimes. This is very simple that our purpose is to know Christ. Our purpose is to be in relationship with him and to glorify Christ. But we easily get distracted from that. How do we glorify Christ? The chief way that we glorify Christ is by faith believing the gospel. By faith, believing that he died for our sins and rose again and living in the forgiveness of God and enjoying a relationship with Christ. The good news of of the gospel. Christ is not looking for perfection. He's desiring relationship that comes through grace and the knowledge of him of the gospel. And as we're living in the gospel, then we're in a relationship with Christ, desiring to glorify Christ. So how do we miss this? Sometimes we start to think that relationships are our purpose. We start to think possessions are our purpose. We start to think that accomplishments at work is our purpose. Then we go, well, maybe it's not those things, so it's got to be recreation. That's my purpose, right? I just need a little bit more fun in my life. If I had more fun in my life, then, then I would be completely satisfied. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who's this wise and wealthy king, tries to find meaning outside of his relationship with God. And he says, it comes up vanity. It comes up emptiness. It's like cotton candy. Cotton candy looks so good, arguably maybe tastes good. We had a birthday party for our kids the last Saturday, and there was cotton candy ice cream. It's like, no thank you. No. (laughs) I love ice cream, but not cotton candy ice cream. But cotton candy advertises this great thing, but it leaves you dissatisfied. It leaves you empty. So apart from a relationship with God, where he's our purpose, what happens with relationships? We get to a place where we go, this relationship is not satisfying me. Well, that person was never created to be Jesus in your life. The greatest spouse, the greatest romantic relationship cannot be Jesus in your life. You're going, man, I had kids to try to satisfy me. No, your kids are not Jesus. I hate to break that to you. If you haven't discovered that yet, they're not the Messiah. They're wonderful gifts from the Lord, but they are not the 
the Messiah. They can't, they can't satisfy, right? Some people go, man, just being single and being by myself, that, that's going to satisfy. In the room today, we got some single people that are dying to be married and some married people that are dying to be single, right? Relationships in and of themselves were not designed to satisfy. It's a relationship with the Lord. And then when our relationship's right with the Lord, then we can enjoy relationships with one another. It's not that there's anything wrong with these things. It's that we've put them in an improper place. Maybe it's accomplishments at work. It's a career that gets you respect and you labor in education and labor in career and you have those accomplishments and yet you feel empty. That job, the accolades, the attaboys, the pat on the back, it can't satisfy a relationship with Christ. It may be a home. Have you noticed in a lot of these new neighborhoods in Colorado Springs, as you hear the advertisements, the advertisements are promising you peace if you move into the relationship. I mean, every problem is going to be solved in your life if you move into the farm. It's going to happen, right? Now, is there anything wrong with owning a new home in the, in the farm? Absolutely not, right? But if you're looking for that neighborhood and you're looking for that home to bring satisfaction in your life, and that's going to be my purpose in life, I hate to break it to you, that home is still made out of two by fours. It's still made out of plywood, and a toilet cannot be God in your life. <laughs> Toilet's a blessing, come on, let's get real, but that's a terrible object of worship. So you get the idea. You're saying, please stop, you're killing me. <laughs> First the bugs in the chairs, now toilets. I'm just getting warmed up. Sometimes people kind of go, Eric, you're pushing it too far in your humor. And I'm just like, if you only knew the things that I didn't say. <laughs> you know, the things that I just kept to myself while I was up here. Our purpose is Jesus. Our purpose is knowing him. Our purpose is making him known. In his presence is the fullness of joy. Surrendering to Jesus and being on mission with him of saying, Jesus, I want to declare you. I want to dis demonstrate you to whoever you put me around. This is why we're here. This is why we're here. And settling into that and living in that brings joy, brings the abundant life. Verse 17, and he is before all things. It's his supremacy. This is the position that Christ has in his authority, that he is before all things. And in him all things consist. This literally means that he holds all things together. He's the one that's holding it together. I'm not an expert at this from what I understand inside of an atom is you have protons. And science goes, how do these protons be held together? you should normally not have that be the case with the, with the protons. They would need the neutrons to be able to attract and hold together. God is the one, Jesus is the one that is holding together the atom. Peter writes in his epistle that when God judges the world at the end of all times, it's going to be burnt up with fervent heat. And maybe all Jesus has to do is let go. And these atoms come apart and this whole world is, is burnt up. God is holding the universe together. He can hold our lives together. In him, we consist. I want you to take, 
a deep breath and go, man, Jesus, you are holding all things together. A lot of times we think that we have more control than we actually do. I'm not holding it together. You're not holding it together. We don't hold our families together. We don't hold our jobs together. We don't hold this church together. We don't hold anything together. Jesus is the one that is holding all things together. I often think of it this way, of a young child who's holding your hand as you're walking across a busy street. They think that they're holding your hand. They're going, oh, I'm doing a good job of holding mom or dad's hand. But you know you're holding their hand. And there is no way that they're getting out of your grip, right? I got you. I'm holding you. And God's got you. Maybe you've had a a stressful week. Maybe there's questions that are coming into your heart and mind. And you're going, does God got this? Yes, he does have it. All things are in his hand. Through him, all things consist. He's the sustainer. So he's the communicator. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. In verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church who is in the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And he is the head of the church. This is really interesting to me. The way that the Holy Spirit presents this through Paul is it gives us this magnificence of Christ and who he is. And the chief of Christ's magnificence is his position in the church. That he is the head of the church. That he is the source of the church. So we then are the body connected to the head. And as we're the body and we're connected to the head, this illustration gives us a lot of understanding of what the church is to be. What is the reality of the church? First is, we're not individualistic. We're connected to one another and jointly we're connected to Christ. You really can't do the Christian life by yourself. Imagine just your big thumb and your head. Not a very beautiful expression, right? Or maybe your big toe and your head. Not a very beautiful expression. But your whole body coming together is a beautiful expression. And guys, collectively, not just our church family, but everyone who believes in Christ, collectively, we are Christ's body in this world. We're his hands and feet in this world. God doesn't need us, but he desires to partner with us as we walk in obedience with him to get his work done, to get his work accomplished, and we do it together. We're joined together. It's never meant to be individualistic. And also this lesson from the body means that our attention is upon Jesus. And I think we really need to hear this because it's easy for us to get our attention on other believers instead of our attention on the head. Everything in the body takes its marching orders from the head, the brain. The brain has the authority. The brain is is calling the shots. As important as the heart is, the heart's not calling the shots. The heart's not telling the body what to do. It's the head. And so for us to operate in the way that God's designed is we're looking to Jesus. Christian leaders, pastors are going to fail you, right? They're going to fall short. Don't put a, a pastor, a leader, an author, a podcast up on a pedestal. Make sure that our attention is upon Christ. And also, you're going to experience this at different points in your journey with the Lord that believers disappoint you. 
that believers sin against you. And in those times, we're tempted to say, you know, I don't really need brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't really need the church. Jesus is wonderful. He's amazing, man, but the church really stinks, right? But that's not what God desires. And the reason that we're committed to one another is not because the person sitting next to you is so awesome or the people leading worship or teaching the word are so awesome, right? It's because Jesus is so awesome. It's because Jesus is so magnificent. And so because our eyes are on Jesus, we go, man, I want to be connected to believers. I want to journey through life with believers and serve together with believers. And that's how there can be a beautiful expression of God's work. I want to thank so many of you that have been a part of our church for a long time and have been committed to the local church through some ups and through some downs. You've prayed for the church. You've served in the church. You've given financially to the church. And you know what? Because of that, there's a ministry here at Rocky Mountain Calvary because of you and your commitment to Jesus expressed in the local church. And if you've been here for a long time and you're wondering, am I needed? Yes, you're needed. Absolutely, more than ever. Is continue to engage in the local church because of your love for Jesus and hear the voice of your shepherd of how God would want to use you now in the life of the church. Say, man, I want to serve now. I want to I give now. Maybe you've been coming for a few months or a year or two years and you're saying, am I needed at Rocky Mountain Calvary? Absolutely, you're needed here. There's so many opportunities to be able to serve. There's so many needs for prayer. And as we look to Jesus and, and we commit to each other, then that's how there's a beautiful expression of, of God's work. And then as we see outside of our four walls, you know, there's such a great unity of pastors throughout our city Right now, as we're meeting this morning, there's churches gathering all over our city, and there are brothers and sisters in Christ. And because of our love for Jesus, we love them. You know, we love Discovery Church. We love Vanguard Church. We love Mountain Springs. We love New Life Church. We love Calvary Worship Center, First, First Pres down, downtown. Why? Because of Jesus. We go, because of Jesus, then we're able to love each other. Now, do we do church differently? Absolutely. Why? Because that's part of God's design, right? The foot does different things than the hand because God uses that diversity inside of unity to reach more and more people for the love of Jesus Christ. So the expression of Jesus in his glory is him as the head of the church. This phrase, who is in the beginning, has been also translated, he is the beginning, who is the beginning is the way that it reads. So Christ is the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the firstborn from the dead. This means we too will rise. So as Christ is risen, we too will rise and have a glorified body. And here's then the application of who Jesus is. That in all things he may have preeminence. In all things that he may be first place first place. As we see who Christ is, we say, Jesus, I want you to have preeminence in everything in my life. With Jesus being first doesn't mean that he's number one and he doesn't not impact two, three, four, and five. Him being number one means that he impacts everything else. Does that make sense? 
So we get to a place of saying, Jesus, I want you to have preeminence in my relationships. So then this is going to affect how we treat one another, not because we're looking at our spouse or not because we're looking at our kids or not because you're single and you're looking at the person that you're dating or a friend, but saying, because of Jesus, then this is how I'm going to treat the person who I'm in relationship with. That changes things, doesn't it? We go to work. What does it mean at work for Jesus to have preeminence in my work? Where Christ is first place in the way that I am doing my work. Finances, in our finances. To say, Jesus, I want you to have preeminence in my finances. I want to honor you with my tithes and my offerings. I want that to be my first fruits unto to the Lord. Lord, this isn't belonging to me, but it belongs to you. So, so I want to honor you in my finances and the spending decisions. As we spend, it's a window into our character, isn't it? It's been said that the last thing to be reached in our lives is our wallet. You know? Saying, God, I'm going to let you into my finances. I want you to have preeminence in my finances. Did you know that sexual integrity is a worship issue? It's really not about sex. It's about worship. It's about Christ having preeminence in our lives. Of saying, Jesus, you're so great. You're so wonderful. I want to honor you in sexual integrity. I want you to be honored in, in this way. I'm convinced as we see Jesus for who he is, then the response is that, Jesus, I want you to be number one in my life. Many times when we got saved, when we came into seeing a need for Jesus, there was an awareness that I have messed my life up through sin. And I need a savior to forgive me And I also need a savior to change me. And church, brother and sister in Christ, we don't ever want to lose that. We don't ever want to lose that. Deep down, I think we know we're really good at making a mess of things. We're really good at hurting others. We're really good at hurting ourselves. We're really good at hurting the heart of God. And so be able to step back and say, Jesus, I want you to be number one in my life. I want you to have preeminence today. I want you to have the driver's seat. And as we leave church, we get into Sunday afternoon to pause and say, Jesus, I want you to have preeminence in my life. Unfortunately, unless the rapture happens, what it could, Monday morning's coming. And to wake up on a busy Monday and say, Jesus, I want you to have preeminence today. I want you to have first place in my life because you're good. And I know that I'm not. So this morning, we're going to take communion together. So let's pray and prepare our hearts uh, for communion and apply this message of the greatness of Christ. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the opportunity to pause, to enter into communion, to remember your sacrifice for us, your broken body, your shed blood. And as we take communion, we genuinely want you to be first place in our lives. We want you to have preeminence in our lives. You are the communicator. You're the creator. You're the sustainer. You're the head of the the body, the head of the church, and we look to you today. So would you minister to our hearts? And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.